Welcome to the Age of Stories, a podcast about the stories from the people of the 21st century. We are broadcasting over Twitch every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time and are open to chatting with fans during the show. I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and today we have an interview that we're doing with Terry Robinson, um, who created the Mage the Podcast, as well as a very awesome um, virtual convention called TriadCon. How's it going, Terry? Great. The first thing I need to do, though, is I did not create Mage the Podcast. I think the appropriate verb at this point is I inherited it. You inherited the yes. Mage the Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, oh, Mage... that's right. Yes. I, I, I know that. And <laughs> uh, Not a problem. It's one of those things where, um, like, Satoros Phil Bricado, when people are like, inventor of Mage, he's like, developer of Mage. <laughs> 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 it's like... <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I adopted them at the age of three. I'm their dad. I'm just not their birth father. So it's but, kind but of, you are the host of Mage. Yes, the I, and, I, I am. I am and, one of a growing number of hosts, which pleases me. <laughs> that is always great. And yes. um, you also uh, are the, the creator of Triacon. Yes, that I feel comfortable taking a fair <laughs> amount of credit for. That I spite created a convention and convinced other people to do it with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also behind a systematic understanding of everything, and hopefully a few new projects, which maybe we can talk about at some point. Absolutely. But, uh, that are, Absolutely. Yeah, that are also in the game space. Sweet. So um, go ahead and tell us. Uh, let's just kind of start off here with uh, what's what's the story of the creation of uh, Mage the Podcast, and how did you get involved with with it? Uh, the Mesa podcast was originally created by a gentleman on the West Coast by the name of Joseph Oleo, who has a incredibly deep background in radio. Uh, I, I remember looking into like, what other things has this guy done? And it was some other radio show that he has edited once a week. And he was on edit episode like 690 or something when I looked into it. So I'm like, okay, guy knows what he's doing when it comes to making sure something comes out regularly. Uh, and Joseph was just interested in learning more about Mage because for every other game Joseph had been interested in, he was able to find somebody who was doing a, a long actual play or an explainer or something like that. And he wanted to fill that space. So he created uh, Mage the Podcast. Uh, my co-host, Adam, reached out to him and said, hey, I'd like to do book reviews and so on. So they kind of started going back and forth between them. Uh, somewhere in the 30s in terms of episodes, it felt like there was a niche that could be filled to have someone talk about the who's and the what's of Mage that had some background in the game uh, that covered things that just weren't books. And uh, Adam and I did a book review to make sure that we would get along. We did. And uh, then I did a few other ones. My first interview, I think, was with uh, Victor Kinzer of Walking Away from Arcadia and also the author of A Phoenix Rising and also helped on some of the M20 line. And the best thing about interviewing Victor is you can be like, hello. And then in response, you get a coherent, insightful statement about the thing you're talking about. Where he's like, from a class point of view, the notion of hello stems back to like the neo-Marxian review of you're like, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's yeah, I do. I will get that on Audible. That's a good idea. Um, so, so that was like the softest of softballs that could be handed. And um, I guess uh, Joseph started it somewhere in 2017, I think. There was a, a bit of a winter when we switched from one platform to other and figured out things. And uh, November 2018 is when I said, I'd like to help because I have 
poor impulse control. Uh, <laughs> February of 2019 was my first episode, and uh, I've put out something every week since. All except for, I think, one or two episodes have had me on it. So if you don't like the sound of my voice, if you go back further than that, you you are exempt from that. And that's kind of been the, um, the story of Mage the Podcast. Like, the, the big thing to me is... A lot of shows are about a topic and then they run out of that topic and then they broaden it or it turns into like a lot of opinion. And mm. I want every episode to point back to Mage and something you can use at your table. Like we had a recent interview with Greg Stolze, who wrote for Demon and he did a number of other games and it's just a fabulous person to talk to. He's one of those people that when you're done, you're like, thank you, Mr. Stolze. Can we be <laughs> friends now? And he's like, I need to literally do things more important than you right now. <laughs> uh, he didn't say that out loud. But when you're like, you got like 90 minutes of your time. It's like talking to a, like Brian Dennehy or like George Clooney for like 10 minutes. You're like, holy crap, he gave me 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> that's huge yeah and, and yeah and it's just great because he was able to point it back to say hey this is what i understand about mage this is a thing you could learn from demon the fallen or this is a thing you could learn from unknown armies and that is very important to me and i want to keep doing shows as long as we can keep that arrow pointing back at mage and things that people can use at the table and uh yep. i i have about another 50 episodes planned that's um, awesome because yeah we had the same kind of issue where we were we were doing the like we're doing crossing darkness and we were starting to branch out into other kind of areas and we didn't necessarily run out of topics as much as we wanted to expand what topics that we kind of wanted to talk about and stuff like that um and and so we you know that's why i came up with like the age of stories and that's why we created this podcast so we could have crossing darkness be more focused just on like straight up world of darkness type stuff and um as well as i mean mainly we're going to try and do like the podcast or sorry the actual play um and all the actual plays as well as any kind of very specific topic which we might have like you come back and do something for you know crossing darkness at once you know we did paradigm with mage but there's lots of different things to talk about um for that <laughs> so definitely was one of those um things that i definitely understand and i appreciate that you you've kept it very focused on mage you know your podcast is about mage and that's what you're going to get when you go there um and that's one of you know i started doing some other stuff like uh eve online and i was like okay i've got to move this over to to a different podcast luckily though of the games in mage you play a human and you tell a human story about the world of magic, which every culture has ideas about. So it, it, at least I wasn't like, you know what, we're going to do 150 episodes. Mummy the Resurrection. Let's do this. Uh, so <laughs> it's 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 like when people do uh, something about um, Warhammer or something that just has this lore for days. Right. You're, you're not worried. Yeah. You're, uh, I'm you're not going to run the... out of that's, and we didn't run exactly. out of stuff with the Crossing Darkness. It's just that you you. For me, it was like, I have other things that I kind of want to talk about, and I don't mind listening to my voice, so I don't mind like having all these different kind of things that I'm doing, different podcasts that I'm trying to create, doing interviews all over the place. And that is one thing I was actually wondering about you. Do you mind your voice? I know that that's a big issue for a lot of people. I don't. There was a brief period of time where it took me four or five episodes to get used to it because the voice in your head is you being like, and you're like, how can I literally ever talk to someone ever? And then uh, I got positive feedback. People were like, oh, there's a new guy. I got episodes. And I'm like, my voice sounds great. And now I'm very 
clinical about it. Uh, I do all the editing for the shows. I do all the editing for systematic understanding of everything. So I'm, I'm pretty used to it. And mostly it is now a adversarial relationship with my voice. I tried to say, um, less, and I just replaced that with other vocal ticks. So instead of going, um, I will do a tongue click. I will be like, as a way of buying time, or alternatively, I will start a sentence three times and I'll say, so, so, so Josh, what I hear you saying is, and every time I see that, I just want to claw my eyes out. So <laughs> I'm hoping that I will find a new round of vocal ticks to replace those with, and I will asymptotically approach not having to edit as much. The, the key insight for me was we used to not really have very detailed show outlines, but as time goes on, my show outlines get more and more detailed. Like the first time you and I talked, I had a couple of bullet points here. Um, for me to speak extemporaneously, I have three pages of notes in Google, <laughs> in a Google doc. <laughs> so it's like when I do systematic understanding of everything, I need to sound like an idiot, but you need to know enough to ask the good questions. So I'm fond of saying it takes a remarkable amount of work to sound like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, that is something that has only gotten realer as time goes by. Uh, so I have a, there are a few interviews coming up for Mates the podcast that I would like to do. Like one is on uh, the magic of the Aztecs and the Mayans. And to just not sound like a complete moron, I am currently reading my third book on that and will still be interviewing experts on it. So, so just to sound like an idiot, I have to read 600 pages of text. And uh, when, when people are curious, why aren't you doing all your other side projects you talk about? That's, that's why. So <laughs> Yeah, the, the massive amount of research that is required when, and the one, then that's one, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of going the opposite route where I'm, I'm just the idiot. Like I, I am literally your your nor middle United States Midwest idiot of the North that just I can barely speak English, and and I hope people appreciate that 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 I just I get other smart people like you and and Mike and other people that'll that'll be able to you know talk about topics with with some level of intelligence and I'm just here for fun and to bring you people together. <laughs> it kind of feels like a magic trick where you're like, you're, you know more about this than me. Can you talk to me about it? And a remarkable number of people say yes. Yeah. It's, it's mystifying that they do it. And especially when someone's like, oh yeah, I've heard your show. And you're like, oh, so you know that I'm a moron already. And you're still saying yes. That is very generous of you. Uh, I reached out to a person who does research into the esoteric. And they're like, I didn't know what a podcast was. I'm like, wow, you are an academic. You had to put down your copy of the New Yorker in Latin to, to, to find a, an old iPod to get my show onto. And you listened to a couple of them. And he's like, I think you had interesting thoughts about how the uh, the, the folk beliefs of the Iroquois are respect, reflected in modern uh, pop, pop culture. And I'm like, I saying that but thank you mister so <laughs> we'll see if that interview happens so i i, to I totally get that um I, I also like doing the short run project like i like the idea of a project that has a natural beginning and a natural end like systematic understanding of everything which is my exalted explainer podcast that i do with monica specka who is one of the exalted devs and Chaz kellner um of the story told and is also an opp writer now like we're doing 32 episodes and then we're done and people are like, what are you going to do after you explain Exalted? I'm like, stop. 
<laughs> we will be done. People are like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, buddy, we're, we're going to be done at some point. And then the question becomes like, what do we, what, what do I do with all those old projects? Do I just keep paying storage for it? Do they go away at some time? Do I make the, like the Terry classics edition uh, or something like that, that I'm not quite sure what I want to do with. So one of the upcoming projects I have with also with Chaz Kellner is uh, we are starting something called pain in the dice, which is just kind of a little label to put all of our projects under and hopefully start building some awareness of that. And hopefully that will start in August or September. Um, Chaz and I are both big fans of OPP games, mm -hmm. like the, the wide umbrella of that, but yep. I don't want to talk about like they came from on made to the podcast and they're, and I don't want to start a, right. they came from cast because there's just quite not enough meat on that bones unless it's going to be an actual play. Yep. So we'll have this other thing. So I'll have made to the podcast and then other and we'll see how that works yep and so that's, that's and that's kind of what we went with, with yeah. our with the the age of stories only we we got ahead of ourselves it's like screw it, i don't care i'm just gonna throw stuff on my podcast because I, I want content <laughs> and, and now we're like we have enough content <laughs> we've got enough which we is just... a weird thing to say out loud <laughs> right. uh, like I, I remember when i went from like oh no we were on episode 45 of age the podcast how many more could there be and i just like sat down and just wrote out show ideas and like the whiteboard that the the viewers can't see to my right has 27 things that are currently like in process. Plus I have a document with a bunch of others. And then there are others where just like, oh, of course we'll get to this. Uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that ultimately turns out. I, I, the key thing for me is having a mix of episodes. Mm -hmm. um, like I want to have a mix of here's something that's really in the weeds. Like one of the episodes I want to do are conspiracy theories in the world of darkness Ooh. things that aren't yeah th exactly that's the response um <laughs> have you ever seen hunters hunted 2 with bob schnoblin's pyramid of satanic power i haven't seen it no but uh, uh i i have i've heard of i think it's also from project twilight it is arguably the single best page of world of darkness design that has ever occurred and it is just this guy from the CIA trying to piece together things. And like, there's things like Wendy's and the brotherhood of the euthanatos on it. And like, it's, it's one of those things where half of the things are references to world of darkness things. And they all point up towards Satan. Um, and the best part about it is it's Bob Schnoblin's pyramid of satanic power trademark. Like he clearly has a trademark logo on it, which I appreciate. And like, there are a bunch of interesting conspiracy theories you can have in the world of darkness. Like one of my favorites is, uh, the precepts of Damien, the rules that the technocracy operates by, we have no information about Damien. So one of the fan theories is that's Lucifer. Ooh, exactly. Interesting. I like that. That's Why a good not? one. Yeah. So it's, and, and the cool thing is like the problem that you run into with a lot of conspiracy theories is like you, you research them and research them and research them and you're like, oh, this is just thinly veiled anti-Semitism. And like a lot of them really turn into that. So finding the ones that you can actually use at a game table that are not just mm -hmm. real world thinly veiled anti-Semitism, I think would be a helpful thing. It's also fun, but it's only going to make sense to propeller heads mm -hmm. because it's yep. going to be like, ah, oh, the kindred of the East makes this weird reference about mummies that if you read Hunter as well, means that vampires are actually the mages of the changeling world. And you're like, <laughs> I need you to explain literally every word in that sentence for me. <laughs> so that's well, kind of a... There is another uh, uh, conspiracy out there. Is Terry a real person, according to the governor? And and apparently we have solved that one. <laughs> we have video of Terry now. <laughs> Actually, we have video of the of Terry from our other uh, podcast as well. But you don't do very much uh, video uh, appearances, uh, do you? Uh, correct. I am what's known as sweaty. Um, I also move around a lot. 
And so I can do the thing where I move my head around and my face is always pointed towards the microphone so I don't have to mess with the levels too much, but my head will be constantly moving. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that's not a great thing for videos. Uh, but one of the projects I want to do are either walk-in talks where uh, Matthew Dawkins used to do a thing where he would talk about upcoming projects and so on. And he just had, he would hold out his phone <laughs> and walk with and talk to it. And I want to do basically the same thing. The difference is um, I'm a dorky tryhard, So I got like a lapel mic for it. And I got like an auto stabilizer for it that I think is basically used by people on vacation, streamers and people who do only fans. And it's like <laughs> a real weird combination when you look at the Amazon reviews of those things and you're like, Oh, this is great for my, I'm like, Oh, I can't say that word in public. Can I good for you, ma'am? Good for you. I'm glad <laughs> I wish you well in that. So uh, I, I would like to try and do more. I need to figure out how for for it to make sense for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things where uh, you and Moto have great production quality in terms of just making sure that your audio is put together and having graphics and so on. Like there's a minimum standard that when I think of golden age stories that I think of, and I, I have that too. And I just need to figure out how to get video to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and once I do, I may try, but like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to crap on projects other people have, but like a lot of people do actual plays and it seems to be pretty clearly broken into three chunks. People who get thousands of views, people who get 10,000s of views, and people who get like tens of views. Mm -hmm. And if the people who are getting tens of views really enjoy it, that's great. Um, in terms of the number of people your content will reach versus the difficulty of producing it, podcasts, I think, are a really good point on that. In terms of the amount of effort required to generate one versus the number of people who will listen to it. Like mm -hmm. the, the explainer that systematic understanding of everything did for Kickstarter. We did four little episodes and those episodes combined got about 3000 listens. Um, a bunch of those are obviously going to overlap, but even if we divide it by three, that's 750 people. That's a, that's a pretty good reach. Pardon me. Divided by four, that's going to be 750 people. That to me is a pretty good reach. And that did better than most of the live streams that people did about it. So mm -hmm. to me, there really is something there for the informational podcast. And if I'm going to jump to video, it's because I think there's a new audience. I would like to figure out TikTok. Oh God, it sounded, oh, I sound like I'm 400 <laughs> when I say that. Um, like maybe there is space for mage explainer TikTok. Who knows? Like, yeah, I, I could see with... little like four minute, you know, or minute, you know, just wh whatever they're, I don't know what yeah. the time limit is because yeah, exactly. I'm an old fogey <laughs> too. And I, I like, I'm like, wait a minute, am I actually getting, yeah, I'm almost 40. So yep, that's why I don't understand these new confounded things that kids are coming out with. But, but if we can figure out what yeet means, we can figure out TikTok. Yeah. I have I have faith in us. Um, <laughs> I still know what a Leroy Jenkins is, so I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I would like to figure out video, and if it's still worth the time, I will do it. Like, uh, the first, I've gotten slightly better at editing podcasts over time, and that's a mix of getting better at editing, not caring as much, and also doing a better job of recording it in the first place. Like since I don't do anything live, if a guest says a good point, but they really stumble through it, I can say, Hey, do you want to take that again? Oh and that yeah. Makes my, yeah. My, <laughs> my job on the other end easier. Uh, so my first, the first thing I have to do every week is make sure there's an episode of mates, the podcast. The second thing I have to do is make sure that every other week there's an episode of systematic understanding of everything. The third thing I have to do is make sure I've read the next mage book. And then the first thing I have to do is make sure that I've done something for my patrons, uh, which is we started a Patreon and I have just been absolutely flattered with the uptake 
that people have had. And I said, hey, I want to have at least 1,500 words of new stuff for our patrons once a month. And that's not too much. That's three hours of writing maybe, but I just need to set aside that time. And once all that stuff is done, that's when I'm like, okay, how do I want to extend what we're doing? And so it's one of those things where if, if anything gets in the way, I need to make sure I have those four things done before I add something on top of it, like a, a Storyteller Vault publication or a video or something like that. So, but we'll see. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm right now, I really want to work. I'm trying to get a mage, uh, a mage supplement out for the Storytellers Vault. I'm just trying to work and trying to figure out how to do the, the PDF for like, I have all the, most of the words that I want to do, but it'll be the, the Madison under siege pretty much mage the ascension um for uh, madison's setting and awesome. we're doing a lot of editing and changing a lot of like the stuff that we have for madison under siege and getting it prepared for a supplement version because it you know it can't really go into like ours has lots, lots of vampire and werewolf and stuff and it's like just cut a, a lot of that stuff out and just go try and be more bare bones of what if madison was just filled with a bunch of mages and you know what is the history and going back through and and grabbing up a lot of like going through wikipedia and being like what the heck happened in 1852 in you know in blah 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 you know and what are all the different hit hit points on special things that happened in madison and then tie it to a mage and a lot of it we have it tied to werewolves and stuff like that but we'll probably what I, my plan is is do mage first and then come out with vampire and then some of the things that you know werewolf or that we say that the mages did we might have to say that the vampires did it too and then it can be one of those things it's up to the storyteller when you if you want to merge all of the different world of darknesses together maybe you know the vampires say they did this but they didn't really do it, it was really the mages and that's why it's inside of both of those books um and so you know it and one of the other things that we're working on right now uh speaking of going more video is, and getting like different devices for that kind of stuff and walking uh the walk and talk um we just got a gopro and so i'm super excited uh one of the things that we definitely want to do is hook it up to the cats we've got it we've got a uh, a little animal thing for them so that they can run around and show us all the different, uh, you know, things that they do, which will be mainly sleeping, is my guess. Um, but they might have some other fun things. But then the other thing we're doing is frisbee golf. Um, is we're going to be um, trying to get really good shots of and you know, kind of play out a, a bunch of different cool stuff for for that. And we've got a backyard fire pit that we kind of want to you know do little sit around story time, you know, ten minute, fifteen minute stories from people, um, and then doing like a couples channel for that. And going off of, you know, once again, you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket, especially if the eggs don't fit into the different different types of eggs. Um, so my wife was like, you can't put this on Golden Age Stories. I'm going to make a, a, a channel for us. And we're just going to Josh and Joanne. That's our couple's channel. Because she's like, everybody else just puts their, their names. And that's the name of their their channel it's like all right i'll give this a shot we'll see how see how this goes i'm excited to see how a couple's channels go i was hoping when you said we were getting a gopro you were going to storytell but you were going to just strap the gopro to your chest and just have an action shot of you storytelling <laughs> see now this i think i've had ideas about this for role or for uh larpers i mm -hmm. really think that larp has the potential to move into a very big actual play area and having people have GoPros or whatever, Google Glass or whatever, you know, can be used to really 
carry around and and record on what's going on out there because it is so they they dress up they they act as much as they you you can and you can just cut out all the stupid little stuff that you know nobody wants to spend hours just waiting for something to happen but beautiful thing about audio and video is you can just cut that right out and get them right to where they want to be um and i really think that that's that's where i think the next level of learn will will eventually start moving into especially i think for like the big huge events like i would love to see what it was like for a player to walk into one of these big events and follow around that player to see the big important events that they had during that that uh that convention yeah i, I think i'd almost one of my thoughts is if we were just strapping it to people i think if it were a smaller event that would give us or, or alternatively someone who's super important like ah, mm-hmm. oh, we're gonna we're gonna put a camera on the prince, yes, or something like that. Yeah, that would be cool. Or or maybe you just have. I wonder if you could have something where you could have a hopefully not too in your face people with a camera, mm-hmm. um, where they would they would have an idea of maybe what the beats are over the course of the evening, and then you could have people who would who could step aside to give their side of the story, as it were. And and of course that's going to be something that hopefully people are going to be able to weaponize against each other especially if it's like a Nordic style LARP or something like that, where you kind of have an idea of where things are going to go ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And there's a secret hand signal that you can do that says, Hey, I think something really cool is about to happen. You might want to be over here conveniently or something like that. I I think that would be fascinating. Um, especially considering the production qualities that we're getting. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. If you got, if you had like a camera crew, you could even get that shot of them running really fast to like the, (laughs) (laughs) Action LARPing, Um, especially when it comes down to people throwing chops. And I think it would be great if you had a person like you had the color commentator who was explaining what was happening as it's going. It's like uh, Billy has chosen to use Optenoprate four, which is an adept level ability. And he's going to have to get he's going to have to get two wins before his opponent gets one. If he's going to get the critical, that's going to allow him to stake the prince before the evening's over. Back to you, Dan. And (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot more things in life need color commentators and so on. And like people just explaining to me what's going on. Like that would be super great. Like when I'm waiting in a bank. Or something like that. And they're like, uh, they're actually keying up your account. And they found that there was a weird transaction that was going on. So she's trying not to let on the fact to you that there may be illegal activity happening, even though you're just trying to cash your check. Let's go back to Terry as he waits in line and just be like, ah, or something. <laughs> that that I would also watch. But uh, I have terrible standards when it comes to these things. Oh, wow. That's a brilliant. I, I almost want to just do that. It's like a, you just grab random videos on YouTube and just start doing voiceovers for them. <laughs> I think that would be fun if we took another actual play and we did color. We just did explainers that were just wildly wrong <laughs> about <laughs> about it. I think that could be fun. It reminds me like uh, the few times that I've um, like gone bicycling and I wasn't quite sober yet. And it was just me narrating what was happening in the world around me. And I'm like, Terry, I'm on a bike behind a guy with really nice shoes. And then the guy in front of me is like, thanks. And like, it just felt like it was part of the opening of like a really bad sitcom, like the Mary Tyler Moore show, but for like this obese actuary who was slightly intoxicated in Philadelphia. So I know what I'm doing when Mage the podcast is done. So thanks for that, that idea, Josh. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I would, I would tune in every, every day. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be done every day. You could just, just randomly walk around. Uh, speaking of trying new things, tell us about TriadCon. How did you come up with this this epic idea that I, I want to be as much a part of as possible moving forward? This is brilliant. I love it. 
I am absolutely thrilled and humbled by the sheer number of people who have expressed sentiments like that, who are like, I like this and I want to help more, which is both a, oh, wow, these people enjoyed it. And like, oh, shit, they expect more out of me, (laughs) which is like a terrible combination. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, man, she said yes to my invite for the date. She's really out of my league. Oh, crap. I have to be able to maintain this ruse for an entire date now. Oh, dear. Um, (laughs) Smash cut. I need to go get a job and get some money. (laughs) (laughs) There are several intervening steps that I now need to take care of. Um, So the idea of Tricon came because they were online conventions that were happening, but in a lot of cases, they were just offline conventions being moved online in the same way that the first movies were just people filming stage plays. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took us a while to figure out what else to do. So my original plan with Triatcon was that I wanted someone to be able to go from, I found out about this game to, I tried this game to I learned a little about how to run this game to, okay, I'm running this game for my friends in a weekend where we could have that entire cycle occur of there would be panels where it would be um, six World of Darkness games that you've heard about, but you've never really tried. And someone could really pitch you on uh, Demon, Mummy, Promethean, whatever, and just be like, no, 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 this is something you can do. And then there would be a sign up for an event where you could say, I want to try mummy or what have you, or I want to try Promethean or what have you. And then there would be a session after that where you're like, I I think I can kind of run this, but I'm not quite sure yet. And you would be able to do a, a workshop with someone where you would start out with half an outline of the city that you would set your mummy game in. And it would be uh, Necropolis Madison or something like that. And there would be a few key events. And if you're in North America, you can kind of move it anywhere else in North America to within certain bounds. Uh, So like it may not fit perfectly in New York city, but we can do it in Yonkers and it's kind of the same size and you can, you can figure out how to make it work. And you would sit down with five other people and someone who would act as a guide who would say, okay, let's come up with a couple of antagonists. That we can come up and be like, oh, uh, there's this uh, uh, there's this skin eater that we need to oppose who is trying to consume the mummies to extend their own unlife. There is this uh, zealous preacher who considers us an affront to God. This is there's this uh, werewolf group that we have this ancient enmity with, and then there's these two mundane factions, and everyone gets to figure out how they want to inter- how they want to weave those together in their own city. And then we're going to come up with maybe a few stock characters that can also be uh, tier two background characters and maybe some important hooks that need to be built into the characters of character creation. And now you have your first four sessions kind of planned out. Mm-hmm. So you've gone from, I, I've only heard of this game to, I'm pretty sure I can run this for a couple of Fridays with my friends in one weekend. That was my plan. Um, but my initial goal was... Um, I, I put out a survey that said, what are the games that you are interested in giving a try to? And we listed 50 games uh, or something like that. I think it was closer to 40 plus a fill in the blank. And uh, my goal was to get, if we can get 50 people to reply, this would be great. We got a little bit short of a hundred and I'm like, woo. And then I put out a call storytellers. What games do you want to run? And I was hoping for 10 and I got like 30. Um, so that woo. And then it quickly became apparent that there was enough interest and demand for a lot of game sessions. So this went from, I was thinking maybe it would be half game sessions, half panel and other content to 90% games. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, like, 
my goal is to get butts and seats playing games people have not played before. So if I need to push something off the table, then me not doing a podcast on here's some intricacies to consider about the avatar storm in a game. Like if I can, if that time can help two more game sessions occur, I want it to happen. Um, we used, um, I'm suddenly forgetting, blanking on the name of the platform. Um, there was an online platform that we used that automated almost all of the registration backend. The key was we had to do the scheduling ourselves. And uh, there are kind of two ways of running online conventions at this point. One is to say, go to a platform like startplaying.games where you sign up to be the storyteller and you put out all the information and the site takes care of that. That's uh, tabletop other- events is what you Thank you. We wound up using tabletop.events, which is amazing. Amazing. It, yes. I, I used, it is I've used it one time before with Midwinter that they do in yeah. Milwaukee. And theirs was all, uh, every game was free. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't have to pay anything for it. And they had a really good structure on it. This was really well, like, everything is just really easy to find, really easy to understand. You can find tons of other conventions that are yes. going on on there. It is just really beautifully done. Um, way and, better was, than what Gen Con has, to be honest. Like, yeah. Um, and it was weird because at the start of COVID, um, Tabletop.events sent out a note that says, hey, COVID, we need to shut down. And then they very quickly pivoted to, oh, wait, we figured out how to do online conventions this way. And when you use it, there's still a little bit of a bias that they assume that there's a registration desk where um, a very haggard person who's been doing this for seven seven hours is going to scan something and then hand you a bracelet or an envelope with a whole bunch of tickets in it. But um, they pivoted it super well, and it it is just amazing. So under startplaying.games, you are expecting the storytellers to do all the lift. Here, it is a mix. You enter the events yourself, you do the scheduling yourself, but storytellers can also submit it. And we did that because we tried to match up availability on both sides. We tried to say, hey, there's a whole bunch of people that want to play um, Star Trek Adventures. Let's make sure we have at least two games of Star Trek Adventures. So that way you don't run into the problem of there being a huge mix match between supply and demand. So you can get into a weird place, for instance, with... um, Say Werewolf the uh, Forsaken is somewhat popular, mm-hmm. but seven games of it are offered and none of them fill. And and now, now you have gotten into the position of your supply destroyed your demand. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we tried to do was keep those two somewhat even. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was hard. And in some cases we missed. Um, uh, for the mathematically inclined, there is a problem in math known as the Polya's urn problem, which I think game registration follows, which is everyone wants to be the fourth or fifth person at a table. So a lot of people are more willing to be the, the last person for a game they kind of like, which they know will now happen than to be the first person for a game that they will love. Um, and in math, Polya's urn, you start with an urn that has a black ball and a white ball in it. You draw a ball and then whatever color you draw, you put another ball of that color back in. So if you draw a black ball, there's now two black balls and one white ball. So your odds of drawing a black ball are much higher. So there is this brief initial period of instability and then it just shoots off in one direction in terms of which color is going to be more likely in that urn. And early on for registration, games follow that. 
where every session gets one or two people that gets into it. But eventually, as the event approaches, the games that have more people get yet more people. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that ultimately happen. So it was interesting. We wound up running uh, a little bit shy of 40 events. If you count the ones that canceled that were full, we had like 48 events that were full. And I was just like, oh, Um, about a little bit over 40 wound up happening. And almost all the games we had had zero participants or five participants or whatever the maximum was. Mm -hmm. There were very few that were in that middle part there. Um, I was able to get one game in that middle part, and that's only because (laughs) I registered it the second day of the con or something like that with uh, because we, you had a werewolf uh, dropout yep. and I thought I could try and pick up uh, that spot uh, and help out there but really it was just uh, just two other people that, that were like okay we'll, we'll check this out but and that's and I think that comes down to yeah if you if you're doing it you know late then you're gonna be in this weird spot where either there'll be a bunch of people who go whoa this just opened up but more likely nobody's gonna even realize that it that it's even yeah. there. And the larger an event gets, the easier some of those problems are to solve. <gasps> oh my god, hi cat! <laughs> um, I'm envious of your cat, uh, of your cat game. Uh, so we, we ultimately had a little bit shy of 700 gaming hours, which is kind of the metric you apparently use for conventions. At about 800, when you have an expected number of uh, game hours where you take the number of players times the number of sessions times how long the session is, um, once that passes about 800, that's the point where apparently you, it is much easier to go to a company and say, Hey, we want to run your game. Give us free stuff. I don't know about you, but I want to give away free <laughs> stuff. It's also, uh, it's one of those things that once a convention gets to a certain size, it's way easier to say, um, Hey, Robin laws. Hey, Matthew Dawkins. Hey, Eddie Webb, come promote your new project. We will get program out of it and you get to pimp whatever you're doing next. Yep. Um, and if and it, if we do run Triacon again, which I think we probably will, uh, we may consider when we want to do it. Uh, we may do a one day uh, game day, maybe in November or something. If if there's not a lot other happening there, um, that is the point where we can get companies involved. And if we do it well, there then becomes a virtuous circle where big events attract more people, which lets you do more stuff, which attracts more people, which lets you do more stuff. Um, uh, we did charge for things mostly because I think bad things happen if you don't charge anything. It's real easy to not show. And mm. I've done a few online conventions that were free and like there were five people signed up and three people showed. And I'm like, um, and in our case, all of our proceeds went to the Helen Keller Foundation, which is a organization that distributes um, uh, nutrient supplements to prevent blindness in sub-Saharan Africa. That's not all the Helen Keller Foundation does, but that was the project we donated for. And I, I think our ultimate number was a little bit uh, above two grand. I can actually, I can actually bring that up. Uh, $2,091. So, um, I think at the end of the day, I accidentally made 61 cents. So (laughs) apologies there, (laughs) but, um, yeah. Put that in your taxes, man. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, if we do another round of it, one of the things I want to do is, um, I will let storytellers put in their own events and descriptions. That'll simplify things. I want to offer training for storytellers. So they know what our expectations are because not only was it try new games, it was try and run a one shot. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a completely different set of skills required to do that one shot versus running a campaign. I think at this point I am better at showing people the first four hours of mage than I am at showing them our 40 through 44. Like I I'm really good at that 
explaining nice tight story, taking it too far. I just like, ah, so, um, that that's kind of where my skills lie. Um, so we want to offer more training. Um, we want to get more companies involved. So there's a lot of weird indie games out there. I don't want to offer them. I want to offer the slightly kooky indie, uh, indie games. So, um, for someone who plays Dungeons and Dragons, Savage Worlds is like one step away. Uh, for someone who plays Savage Worlds, maybe World of Darkness is one step away. For people who play World of Darkness, Story Path is one. So, like, every game kind of has all the games around it that are understandable. And I just want to convince people to either try a new game in a system they are familiar with or try a, uh, a new game in a genre they are familiar with. So if you're already familiar with Starfinder, let's give Eclipse Phase a try. If you're already yeah. familiar with Eclipse Phase, maybe Scum and Villainy, whatever. I recognize that those are different types of sci-fi, but, um, and if you keep the costs low and you do it online, the, the personal costs of failing are really low. Like, I don't know if you've ever gone to a really nice restaurant for a type of cuisine that you're not sure if you would like a lot and you wind up spending like a hundred bucks for you and like your guest. Oh yeah. And you're like, I'm sure this is prepared well, but these sauteed bull penises <laughs> didn't like them nearly as much as I could. I thought I would like, I've made that oopsie before Absolutely. where it's like, yeah, <laughs> Tasmanian cuisine. Of course I will like it. And then you're like, Oh, this is just, no, this entire dish consists of mustard and has a single koala egg in it. And you're like, I didn't even know, know koalas made eggs like that. So here we are. And then you're, you're out of Benjamin and you lost your Friday night. So with online conventions, that cost is very low. I just didn't want people who are like, oh man, this is my 17th opportunity to play D&D online this year. We literally offered no sessions of um, like bog standard D&D. There were two sessions that were offered. One was a custom setting and the other one was a level 20 boss run. Yeah, the level 20 boss <laughs> run. Um, I didn't see the other one, but the level 20 boss one I looked at, I was considering it. And, yeah. and then I think I had something that either I was running a game or I had another game that was going on at the same time. And I've done level 20 stuff with, with D&D before, so I wasn't really inclined. But it would just does, does seem kind of, that was like an off one that yeah. was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Start at level 20, go fight a boss. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a lot of room for weird systems on top of other systems. Um, like the game that I've been obsessed with for a month and a half is called Aegon. And it is a game, it uses what's called the Paragon system. It starts with the presumption that you are playing exceptional people that can do badass things. The question is just, how badass will it be? And how much will you succeed? Mm -hmm. um, like Hercules succeeded a lot. It didn't end super well for Hercules at the end of the day, but I mean, he banged out the labors like a champ and that was pretty cool. And that's kind of what this game wants you to do. It wants you to have epic successes against other people who are also having epic successes. And I don't know about you, like that to me is a framework. I could run a Archmage game on top of that in Mage the Ascension. Yeah. So that, that is the other thing I would want to convince people to do, to do weird mashups. So, um, we will probably start planning our next one. My guess would be, uh, so uh, pulling back the curtain, I am a professional actuary. Uh, there's a sequence of exams I need to take. I have one more before I get my higher level of accreditation. And I only want to take that exam once because they only offer it once a year. And if I can't do Triacon because of that, okay. So it may be the case that Triacon 2022 might be in October. Okay. So I can or something like that. Yeah. Not quite sure yet, but, um, we've learned a lot about things. Um, I very much enjoyed the sense of community that surprised me that there were people who were like, Hey, how about you try this? I'm like, that's a good idea. We can do that. Um, 
having enough coverage so that if anything happens, we have the ability to respond to it quickly. Um, I think it, it would be useful to offer more training to storytellers. Um, I, I don't know about you, but like, I never, I never read a book on how to storytell. Yeah, besides and, like, you know, the GM guide, you know, the storyteller mm -hmm. section, you know, I never, all, all of my experience with GMing, from my point of view, I didn't even, you know, I wasn't around when there was the, all these actual plays or even this idea mm -hmm. that you could learn anything from somebody on YouTube, um, you know, and so when I started doing this, it was all just throw you right into the fire. If you can find the pan, I hope you know how to crawl up steering yeah. walls of steel. <laughs> It was a very metal, which I appreciate. So, uh, but then like last year I read your best game ever, which was Monty Cook games book on how to be a storyteller. Oh. And it was a lot of really basic stuff, like learn your character's pronouns and things like that. And like, I didn't learn a huge amount of it, but at the same time, it verified that there wasn't anything stupid, obvious that I was failing to do. <laughs> and I think like, sometimes it's really nice listening in on a topic that you've taught yourself a lot about and hearing like the 101 course and being like, Oh no, I do get all of this or being like, Oh no, I have completely forgotten this element of doing my own taxes. Oh dear. I owe the IRS several thousand dollars. I should go fix that. So I, I think some of that one-on-one -on -one level stuff, even if you're not learning, it does have a confirmatory thing to know how someone else is doing it. And that is the kind of the other track that I wanted to do. Um, and, and we'll, see where we go. Um, I, I would like to have more industry involvement. I would like to have more, um, more stuff to help promote people to try new games. And I have a few ways of doing that. Um, uh, special thanks to Kate Bullock of Magpie Games, who initially was like, yeah, I will help you. Here's your consulting rate. And I'm like, oh, we're doing this for the first time. And it's for the Helen Keller Foundation. And Kate's like, oh, sure, I'll do it for you free. And I'm like, thanks, Kate. <laughs> um, so, so thank you so much to, uh, to Kate on that. Um, there are people who are figuring out how to do online conventions. Um, Magpie Games does community game days. And uh, talking to uh, Mark Diaz Truman, the CEO, doing their online game days is the equivalent of them doing an entire gen con every two months in terms of the number of people they get to have try their games wow. so yeah i think there's a lot of space for online play and i think our next generation of games are going to have online play kind of baked into them or they're going to be a little bit more online play friendly um i play invisible sun which is a game i absolutely love um which is this weird surrealist game, but it really depends on having everyone around a table. Uh, doing it online has been super hard. Uh, PBTA doesn't require that as much. So I, I am excited to see if COVID creates a change in game design where we no longer presume that we will be able to move minifigs around in front of us, or alternatively, they will assume that you have roll 20 from the beginning and that will be baked into the game where you're mm -hmm. reading through the book and it says, when you reach this phase of combat, click the damage button on the app <laughs> right yeah no that i think that that is the future is is really i think that if you want the books to survive to be honest i think that it needs to come along with an app or something you know like you, you're gonna you're gonna have because we're always gonna want the physical or i'm gonna always want the physical book i should say uh -huh. i don't know about humanity but uh i i always hope that paper is still going to be a thing of the future even you know even though we are going very strongly digital and we want to save trees too. I do, you know, we don't need to be cutting down tons of trees, but there is something different about physically having a book. But I do think that to move forward, 
you need a digital side of it and not just a digital book but like you said like some kind of roll 20 because it's getting really simple to make a hex you know or a a, a uh, grid map for somebody to play stuff on and press a little bit of buttons that has all of your rules and mechanics built into it um yeah it, I don't know how much more that could be in production, but I think that, that games that start doing that, where you can just download the app on your phone, get all of the quick rules for you, have a dice roller, have a little map in there for you, so that if you have like a desktop version, um, you know, website for you to go to, stuff like that, those are going to be the, the gaming systems I think that'll really start taking off. And I don't see D&D going in that realm because they don't need to. Uh, and that's where I think this is the opening to see if somebody can start really pushing their their new system, their new game, get above D and D by just being seeing the future where Dungeons and Dragons doesn't need to do that. There's no reason why they would go down that road because everything's already done it for them. So and they've got video games. So I think for Mage the Ascension, um, if I were to make a Mage app, you would load in your dots. And it would literally show you everything in the core book and how do you do that that your mage can do magically. That would and be so nice. It would just yeah. it would be huge because that it just would speed up gameplay so often and really get and I think the more that we digitize character sheets and stuff like that, I think is is really the future. And um, you know, I and I think on the other realm, I I'm really hoping that movies and stuff start going down this route of like being more you get more to your character than just your lines. You know, here's some dots and stuff. Here's some here's some concepts of what your character is capable of doing so that when you go off the script that we gave you, you know, we might use it because... <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of options. And uh, I know a number of people have tried. I don't know if it's one of those things where it really needs to be baked in from the beginning or not like for instance talking about pbta games those digitize easily because they are so simple um and then on the other end of the spectrum you have like war games which digitize well because they are so hard i wonder if <laughs> all the things in the middle are are kind of messy because of that like I, yeah i, I think love... world of darkness is one of those messy ones because it's super simple yet super complicated like i think a game like mage is one that you pointed out that would be really great to have quick access to a bunch of information that you need but doesn't necessarily hinder the game from moving forward you just you just don't use a lot of that information is the problem hopefully i also wish games got better at saying don't go over here this isn't what our game is about if that makes sense like i don't know about you magical combat is really lame because if if we have two mages going up against each other, I'll use a magical tech. Okay, I'll try and do counter magic. Okay, your counter magic succeeded. Next round. Okay, so you're telling me literally nothing happened functionally in that round. It's one of those things where like you abstract it away, and it very quickly either becomes a numbers game, something where you have to deviate from the rules as written, or the way my table has gone. And combat happens in one of three ways. The characters are surprised. The characters surprise someone. Or... Something weird happens, and then somebody runs away because mages are squishy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get a lot of questions in the Mage of the Podcast Discord, discord.me slash Mage of the Podcast, where people are like, how do you run magic combat? I'm like, I really don't. And I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's like, no, it's all about the characters. No, it's, for me, it's about plot. Mm. I want things to happen in my game. It just so happens that combat doesn't happen a lot. And the comparison I make is, I don't know about you, Josh, but in your day-to-day -day life, 
many times in your life do you feel you have rolled for initiative? For uh, me, it happened once in high school. Yeah, I definitely had a couple of times in high school that it's happened to me. I've had a pretty rowdy past, though. And and a lot of the times when I'm just messing with my friends and we, we're rowdy kids and uh, up north kind of folk. So, yeah, we got I've gotten into my fair share of fights, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, but not since I've become an adult. Yes. Maybe once. Yeah, that's, that's about the right number. It's probably under five at least. And like, yeah, definitely. And for me, in a mage game, the same thing can happen where you're just not rolling initiative too much. We're like, yeah, the combat system is there. We don't have to use it. I'm not saying be touchy feely. It's just the fact that if you've ever seen a mage in a fight, there's a lot of blood very quickly. So, so maybe that's just not the direction the game goes. And I think it would be great if we had an app that kind of like steered around that. So instead of people being like, I play D and I love the crunchy combat. That's the fun part. Um, getting better at being like mages can fight. It won't work the way it does for your seventh level wizard. Actually, even if your mage is basically a seventh level wizard. So this is where the real excitement comes from. And maybe this is how combat may work out better for you. So I yep. think there are, there are ways that we could influence the storyteller system to say, this is a thing this game can do. It is not where it shines. Yep. No, so yeah. And maybe I found try that when, I was, yep. when I do combat, it's kind of interesting in, in Mage. I've seen this happen a couple of times where uh, one player goes, okay, I'm going to cast a spell. And, and they're like, okay. And then like, really nothing happens or maybe a little bit of damage. And then the other character goes, I shoot my gun. And then it's like, yeah, so you blew his brains out. Like that, that's sphere 10, <laughs> the sphere of gun. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just like, just, you know, like it, it comes down more of the times, like you said, it's like them prepping a bomb or them setting up a trap or them setting it. So they just instantly win or they just pull out weapons and they go weapon. You know, like the yeah. only things I can, only characters I really think of when I think of somebody that's like a mage that's going to go in and go ham with magic is in Akashic Brotherhood because they're just doing normal attacks enhanced with badass magic, you know, and that's, and anything other than that, it's like if it, if it's an, uh, a hermetic, the only way I can think of is you got a staff that already does all the stuff for yeah. you. It's not counter magic anymore. It just does, does the same thing a gun does. Only it's a staff. <laughs> yeah, and it does forces damage, which is useful um, because you're going to get a 2x multiplier and then you get, you get to add one to that, which is nice. Uh, and yeah, I, I totally agree. And the thing to me is, uh, while we're talking about Mage, who to thunk it? Terry has opinions about Mage. <laughs> one of the things I recently changed is when I run a one-shot, when a character improvises an effect, I demand them do a flashback of how this improvised effect is similar to a thing they did before while just practicing magic. Hmm. Uh, one, one of the things that Revised really emphasized and late 2E did that didn't in previous editions is the sheer amount of time that mages spend preparing for magic. Uh, James Sobrano was talking about how a hollower pulls out an effect, but part of their effect is the fact that they spent three and a half hours putting on their makeup that day. Uh, an Akashiana kicks a guy in half because she spent the weekend doing that for six hours against trees so right. that when she actually had to do it, she could, the hermetic is able to whip that effect out because they spent the entire weekend inscribing the summoning circle. The verbena is allowed to do the effect because they have gathered the, they have spent months cultivating these herbs to do it. It is this weird mix of like material spell components 
<laughs> and, 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 and preparing for your driver's license exam so that when you do need to pull the effect out of nowhere, it is not you, it is not like, it is like improv comedy. You can do it because you've spent hundreds of hours practicing, not because you are this true great wonderkin that's pulling an effect out of nowhere. So well, in my age games, yeah. That, but yeah, that, that's, that's huge because I think that that's, uh, that goes towards magic for these, for mages is a way of life. It is, it, and, and you're, and that's one of the things that I think it's hard for people to kind of wrap their minds around when they're thinking of mage. Cause they're like, well, I've seen all the, my mage has seen all these other crazy mages do all these other things. They know what vampires are or whatever, you know, when they've seen whatever their thing. So they should know all this stuff. And it's like, no, you got to remember these guys are seeing this through glasses that are so rose tinted that they don't see the truth at all. Like you as a player are seeing what's going on here and understanding the greater dynamics of stuff. But when they see a, a, a Verbena, if I'm a son of ether and I see a Verbena do something, I have no clue what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I can't just replicate that. And it's because I have my way of life, my way of doing things. This is how I've always seen the world and how it's worked for me. But that is part of my whole routine too. That's my whole thing that I do every day, day in and day out is me performing my, my, my rituals, which you can look at real world people that do that. Like there's people out there that they get up, they do their prayer, they do this, they, then they have their, their, you know, their special lunch or dinner, whatever. And, you know, they have very, very ritualized life that they live. And that's what mages do a lot. Like there's very few of them out there that are not, have a very strong pattern of what they're going to be doing, which is what can fall them into, you know, being able to pick up, okay, now I know how to beat this mage because he's got giant holes in, in his understanding of the universe, even though he's got a much better understanding of the universe than majority of the other supernatural creatures out there. Yeah. When, we are often role-playing the three hours of free time that our character has in a day that is full of either a job or family or magic or what have you. And and the moment we say, no, this is what my character's doing all the time, you're like, no, this game does not work anymore if you think that. But yeah, so I, I, I like, the, I appreciate that insight. And I, I very strongly, I fervently agree with you on that. Uh, yeah, it's the so, same thing as like how we, we don't, we don't, at least I don't in my games, work out like when do you have to go to the bathroom? And when do you, you know, like, when, when are you even eating is not really a big things in my store. You know, like, if it's dinner time, then we're probably eating. But I'm not like, your character is getting very hungry right now and now has to go to the bathroom. You're in the middle of a fight. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. So uh, you do an actual play. Uh, one of the things I would like to do are uh, is a very explanatory actual play where there are very obvious system beats that we want to hit each time. Like a lot of actual plays are about story and everything. Mm -hmm. I want to do something that's about the opposite, where there happens to be a story, but the main goal is to show the system how it would occur in, in games. Uh, we did this for Exalted for systematic understanding of everything, and I'm like, ah, are people going to be interested in this at all? And then like someone sent me fan art they had made of the character that I had played for a total of two hours across two episodes, and they're like, I think Shrouded Mirror Oracle would look like this. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, people like this. <laughs> or at least this person did. Uh, and based on the, the, the listens, it seemed like more people did. So I, I think there is space for that very explanatory thing. And um, I want to do 
the mystical side. There's a lot of technocracy games because they're kind of easy to follow. You, mm-hmm. you, you can get it. It's a lot easier. Um, yeah, it's a paradigm we all understand. Unless oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you've been living in a church all your life, never came out, or <laughs> exactly. Then you might get the quest or the choirs, but. Yeah, um, and I, I would like to try and do that. I'm not sure what that will look like. Um, the people who do systematic understanding of everything with me, I'm like, so I did this exalted thing for you. How about mage? So we'll see if that works. So that goes in the um, the projects that I would like to have happen. Um, I'm not ultimately sure what that's going to to look like, but that is that that is another thing that kind of goes in the in the to do pile. Uh, so you're, I, I'm now fascinated about your, uh, your Madison under siege book. What is that going to look like? Um, so I, I kind of want to frame it after a lot of what, um, you know, other books of, of cities have kind of done. So I'm going through and like reading a lot of like, and trying to get the format of how other city books kind of go about it. Um, mm-hmm. but my main thing with Madison is that I want to make it a tradition stronghold. Um, I have the idea of um, we have Techno Gate, which is in the Madison Under Siege setting that is in Madison, but that's just the the airport. That's uh, the, There's a National Guard base inside of the airport. They've got some cool toys, and I was like, okay, it's underneath that. Other than that, Madison is owned by their traditions. Like, And so I wanted to make it one of those special cities that is really not like any of the other mage cities out there, because almost all of the other mage cities are primarily controlled by the technocracy and everybody's kind of running or you're in an umbral realm is really when you get away from the technocracy um and so i wanted to do a fairly big city um and of course i live here but the one thing that always caught me was that they call it 77 square miles surrounded by reality so i've always wanted to make madison this special little place where you've you know kind of when it got built up by the mages it was seen by the mages as being this place that was a little bit more malleable um reality is a little bit easier to kind of control here and i wanted to start that off with that there were fights and wars over madison in the beginning because like originally the you know native american population would have used this area for a lot of the magical powers and, and and malleable reality that there is around here and then pushing that to being like well the mason you know the uh the mason well the the hermetics came in and built all of these you know built the capital to harness that magical power and stuff because there's all this kind of like crazy masonry work that's been done here in madison as well as the fact that madison really shouldn't exist to be honest um there is um the the origin of madison is that they were looking for a capital and James Doty was like, I want, for whatever reason, he wanted this area of land. So he bought up a whole bunch of swamp land in between two lakes that nobody owned, nobody wanted. There's a giant hill in between two lakes and it doesn't really, there's an isthmus and that's it. And like the middle of the isthmus is a big hill. And nobody was building here. Nobody wanted this land. And so he was like, okay, I buy it all. And then he went to all of the people that all the council members, whatever, that are trying to decide where the capital is going. And he's like, here's fur, here's land, here's food. Don't you like me now? Why don't you build the capital on my land? <laughs> and so he got them to come over and, and basically built the city out of nothing. 
there was absolutely nothing here until this the capital was decided to be here and they built a bunch of stuff in order to accommodate having a capital in a, in, in the state um so I've and there's always these you know there's weird stories that happened inside of Madison from the capital burning down to you know there's there was a bombing of our school um there you know UW has tons of you know crazy stuff that happened in the 60s um you know from all the rioting and stuff so and Madison has been on the map and weirdly Wisconsin is on the map somehow in in lots of um supernatural ways like uh the show tv show supernatural stops in wisconsin at least like every five six episodes just because there's some kind of weird crap that's going on here up north <laughs> um so one of the you know big things that i wanted to do is kind of take a lot of that history and then just um you know world of darkness eyes it and um and then bring it up and my plan is to bring it to 1999 and kind of stop um, and then let the players kind of run with what happens after the Avatar Storm. Um, and kind of saying that, you know, maybe leaving a little bit of, like, ideas of what you can do after the Avatar Storm. But, you know, the idea of, I want to kind of build you up to 1999, have the Avatar Storm hit, and then kind of end the book there. And be like, if you want to go on after the Avatar Storm, you can decide on who dies, who lived but kind of build out a full setting that you have all nine traditions. You have the capital that leads to a horizon realm. The horizon realm has been built up and is new Atlantis, you know, is the, the floating city above the city and, you know, has this kind of chrono trigger, uh, you know, uh, zeal kingdom of zeal kind of floating city to the, to the, and each tradition has their own section of that, that, um, realm where they enhance their portions of life magic or their you know their paradigm is more entrenched there um but then you have like fighting so a lot of it's going to be about more about fighting inner fighting between the traditions rather than the traditions versus the technocracy like the technocracy is not going to be seen as a threat in madison they're actually they're actually allies for the most part you know they're working together to stop crazy shit that's happening in the umbra um, through using Technogate. Um, and so there's this, you know, odd group of Technomancers out there that kind of keep it hidden from most other Technomancers that they'll work with these mages. And I wanted to have, like, little stories about how they got in trouble about that, you know, in the past, that they shouldn't be working with reality demons, but now they're in the spotlight, and, you know, Senator Johnson has come now, and it's going to shut down your programming if he finds out you've been messing with the reality demons. <laughs> uh, so... How big is this going to be, do you think? Um, so my hope is that the first book will be like about 100 or so pages, uh, maybe okay. a little bit more. Um, but my idea is I kind of want to have full backgrounds on characters. I have about maybe 15 to 20 um, characters that I want to throw in it. So that that alone could take 40, 50 pages right there. Um, and then we've got... Um, you know, the history of Madison. I want to hit up each one of the spots inside of Madison and give like a nice little breakdown of, you know, what they are in, in, in the real world. Well, what, what it is in the world of darkness by using a lot of what it is in the real and try and take some of our more, um, uh, like our picnic point and, and our, um, the capital and, you know, we've got this really, we had this really crazy nightclub that was, uh, the Inferno, 
you know, and kind of taking those things and being like, well, the Inferno was the the nightclub that was owned by the vampires. For this case, I probably would make it maybe the hollow ones. And, stuff. and that's that's the other thing, too, is that I want to do it for Mage, but I want to take out a lot of that stuff that I would have normally had. I would have had Vampire the Masquerade as taking over the Inferno. But maybe I'll have the hollow ones take over the Inferno during for the Mage book. But then you get to the Vampire book and you learn, oh, actually, it's really the Elysium. <laughs> Do you plan on having a adventure baked into it as well, or is it just a, a setting supplement? My my uh, plan would definitely to be have uh, at least a few page like introductory adventure for somebody okay. to kind of um, get introduced to the you know what what you if you became a mage in Madison how that kind of worked and I wanted it to be a little bit different because normally in in if you became a mage in almost any other city it would be because a mentor found you or something like that and then you just get entered you know maybe they find you the proper one but you know however it works is just whatever you know will get you to where you're supposed to be going in Madison I kind of wanted to be like when there's a new mage in Madison they fight over it they're like, no, he's supposed to be a celestial choir. He's been going to my church for a year. And it's like, well, he's part of the engineering department. That's owned by the Sons of Ether and the Virtual Adepts are. He's a hacker, too. He's been on the digital web. We own him. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm very curious to see those kind of setting supplements occur from age, which is part of the reason why I am uh, uh, greedily inquiring about it. So I, I look forward to to that coming out the other end I, I think the for the for the mage community i think there's still a lot of there's still a lot of opportunity that storyteller vault presents mm -hmm. and i don't think anyone has quite fully figured it out yet uh and and I, I hope that makes it out there i have my own weird little projects that i hope to do at uh at some point so we'll we'll, we'll see how that goes I'm super excited about the Storytellers Vault. I want to do a lot with it. My only major hindrance is I don't know how to make a PDF book. Like just that we can figure out. If you can get all the text together, there are enough people flitting around that we can get it into a book form for you. Um, it, either using Word or InDesign, or I'm a fan of a, a Affinity Designer. We, we can get the PDF for you out the other side. If, you, if you've got Word, we can make it happen. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of space for things that don't necessarily look like a mage book. Like, um, so I, I did a book called Ascension's Landscape, which is just setting considerations for mage. Basically, it, it should have been entitled things that keep Terry up at night dot PDF. <laughs> uh, and the fact that it's moved like 300 copies is just mystifying to me. I'm like, who knew there are so many weird people out there? Um, and I love each of them. And so thank you for that. But like, um, for a book like that, if I had just released it as a nice word document with a cover, and I told people, this is just going to be a nice Word document with a cover. I think a lot of people would be okay with that. So, like, if your, does your PDF necessarily need to look like a mage book? I don't think so. Like, if you've got a good Madison cover and it's obvious what's on it, and the inside of it is just, like, a two-column spread in Word that you did an export to that has a whole bunch of images laid out in it, like, that you've gotten off of uh, Flickr or whatever, I think that's fine. I think, like, come up with your own little template. It'll be way easier to do. And as long as you tell people who are buying it that that's what it's going to look like, I think that that could work. That's that's me. If you want to go whole hog and just figure that process out, mm -hmm. cool. But if not, I think there there may be space for things that do not necessarily look like full books that are either literally an outside, outline format or something like that, but, like, highly detailed. 
or just look like something else. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see where, where that goes. And yeah, I, interesting. Uh, I know that one of the things that I was thinking of doing was just some primer, you know, free stuff that I was going to throw out there. Mm-hmm. And this kind of encourages me to do it a little bit more is just like, just grab one of the characters, you know, finish them off, make sure it's all set. Cause I've already been using these characters for years now. I just need to get it so that they're 1999 versionized and, and properly like, cause we messed with the timeline so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and so it's, it, you know, if we, if I can just sturdy it out and just be like, okay, here's, here's the character, here's a picture of them. Here's the stats. Here's the background story. Here's their interests, their goals, their love, their hates. And, and here you go. And then just kind of put that out there as something as like a little primer for, for it that I would be, I, I feel like for Madison under siege, the, the, the city book, I really want to make, I want to sit down and really get the idea of what does a city book look like and to kind of replicate that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of little stuff for mage that would be really nice just to have. I don't, I don't care how pretty it is. I just want it to be there. <laughs> and there's so much for mage, especially rotes. I feel like that is, I feel like they're really, really surprised there hasn't been a book of just rotes. Go through every single power that has been displayed throughout the world of darkness and turn it into a rote for me. You know, I want vampire red eyes. What do I need? I need, I, I want to turn into mist. What do I need? I want to, you know, do, do vicissitude, a level five. What do I need? You know, what do I need it in mage format instead of being in, because there's already an example of a billion powers in the world of darkness. It's just, I think in the moment, it's way harder to think about them than if you can just sit down and pull back and be like, okay, I have the entire world of darkness lineup that tells me what people are capable of doing. And according to mage, I should, as a mage, be able to do anything that anybody else does as long as my paradigm allows for me to be able to do it. Yeah, it, it's it, one of the things where we need it from two directions. We need to go from description to spheres and also from spheres to descriptions mm-hmm. where it, it would be ideal as a player to go, oh, no, I think of this thing. What do I need to do it as well as this is what I can do. What can that actually mean? Like, what can I do with a circular saw? and a screwdriver and two sawhorses. Oh, I can build a bookshelf. Yeah, of course I want to build a bookshelf. Who doesn't want a bookshelf? And also being able to be like, I need to build a bookshelf. How the, how, how do I do that? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think mage requires it from both ends. Absolutely. Uh, as, yeah. And, and I hope, I, I hope you are able to get that to happen. Um, and if you need any help getting that over the finish line to turn it into a PDF, give a, give a holler. There's a bunch of mage folk who are like, yeah, more stuff. Um, who, who will be, glad to uh to make that happen like uh, on the book side the the two big projects i have are i started writing up an srd which is a system reference document which just explains the systems of mages and of uh, i've done that for everything except for magic which <laughs> i don't know that's weird that's like yeah i've covered all of us history except for the civil war and race relations. And you're like, okay, that's a lot, (laughs) but you still have a lot. Like, (laughs) like, yes, you've listed one thing, not in there, but it's like, I've opened a bakery. We just don't make breads or cakes. And you're like, I don't know if that's a bakery anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing you don't make, but that's a big one thing so you don't it's make. It's kind of the centerpiece of Mage <laughs> is the magic system. Yeah. Although so I, I, I feel like Mage actually, 
you feel like it should be the magic system, but in closer inspection, it's actually the philosophical system and the the history system, and the it's it, it has so much little to do with magic until you're getting down to like the oh wait a minute you had to have used magic to get that done, and it's like well did I yeah <laughs> I, I think the the secret the secret thing I will say about mage is that a mage's superpower is the fact that they can do attribute to help magic and magic to help attribute mm -hmm. and that to me is kind of the cornerstone of what makes mages mages where it's like we very rarely have large dice pools like whenever i read one of these other books and it's like roll strength plus um fortitude and you're like that's 75 dice for you. Uh, pardon me, strength plus potence. You're like, that's all the dice. I don't have any more. That's an exalted's worth of dice. And then mages are like, I can do anything with both of my points of arete. Yeah, my two <laughs> dice that I have. Check this out. I'm going to roll it 40 Boom. times, man. I'm exactly. going to spend five weeks working on my one spell. It's going to be great. And then the werewolf walks around and is like, I punch him. How many yes. dice do we get? 25. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wind up first. 34. There you like, go. Oh, okay. Well, that was like, I think one of my, the weirdest things I found about the SRD, that an antediluvian on a unicycle is faster than a bus. Um, because <laughs> in mage, your maximum speed on a unicycle is strength times nine. <laughs> um, so so if, you, if you've got a strength of like nine uh and you're on like a bus or a tractor or something and your top speed is 70 like just a, a antediluvian on a unicycle can just mow you down <laughs> and you get into these weird weird these really weird places in the system like if you're in a fighter jet going maximum speed you have to roll 47 successes to make a sharp turn <laughs> just because they're like oh yeah for each 10 miles per hour above the safe speed you go you need another success <laughs> so you're like, okay, well, I'm going half the speed of sound more than that. So, <laughs> but yeah, systems, hooray. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, oh, I hope to. Um, one thing real quick about the the, um, the idea that you had about doing a little short stints to kind of explain um, the yeah. the rules and kind of focus more on the rules, have a little bit of story. Me and um, Mike uh, were talking about doing something similar. We we're going to call it the white room. We were just going to go. We're going to give you a situation. This is the mechanical breakdown of how that situation would work. And we'll just do it all inside of a white room to assume that there's nothing going on. But I kind of like the idea having a little bit of... I think the, the prep time is way less on the white room. Which here at Golden Age Stories and the Age of Stories podcast, we're all about cutting down on prep time and edit yeah. time. You know? um, but... Uh, I like the idea, though, of having it just be a short story that tells you about the mechanics, but ha it's kind of like, I want to tell you a moral, and I can just tell you the moral, which won't really hit home as hard as telling you a story that tells you the moral. And I think that it would be easier in, in people's brains if you just created like 50 white room events where it was like, this is how you fire a machine gun. This is how you use forces three uh, prime two in order to create a fireball. Eventually you would just go, I don't remember any of these things. Yep. Like they just, you know, okay, I, I remember that there is one on fireballs. So I have to go look it up again. But if you had a story involved with it, it might be something that might mechanically set in your brain a little bit more, as well as give you a little bit more 
like other mechanics that can kind of be thrown in there and you can do a little bit more than just one focus you can kind of have a couple things with the primary being what you're looking for but you also have the social role to get past the bodyguard or the the bouncer to get into the club because you have to go you know do some kind of entropy effect in order to make the guitar all screwed up because he, oh, yeah. he dumped you. So now he's going <laughs> to, and it's, it's been kind of weird, like just staring at the maid system. So up close, it's one of those things where like in a lot of cases, your character can do it, but can they do it in time? And that is the direction that exalted essence went with ventures where it's like, yes, given time, you will always succeed at this thing. And in Mage, oftentimes, if something isn't forbidden by your paradigm or the magics you have, you will succeed. The question is, do you succeed in time? And more so than a lot of other games, Mage is about managing that. And part of writing a, an SRD has been figuring out what are actually the key things about Mage and the way they go about the world. And magic is powerful. Mages are squishy. Planning is useful. Never get into a gunfight. Like if I can, if I can come up with a demo where everyone walks away with those key things, I, I would consider it to be useful. But um, that that's something systematic understanding of everything. I think we will be recording episodes through October, and once that is done, that is probably when I would start doing that. And uh, there's there's one other project I may start in the meantime. We'll see. Um, can I pitch something to you? Yeah, absolutely. You can tell me. I think there should be a Onyx Path, like, call-in show. Where oh, we've talked about one. this a little yes. bit. Yes, so I am, I am finally pulling the trigger on it, and if all works out well, starting in August, I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and do Tuesdays with Terry, and it will just be 45 minutes of live stream where I will be talking with a guest or another host. Um, and we will be, we will go through the Onyx path news. We will have a topic. And if all works out well, I should be able to take live callers. Um, I want to, I want to be one of those live callers. I'd so I would, be. I would love for you to be one of those live callers. I think the only way this is going to succeed is if I have a very good collection of ringers <laughs> that are, <laughs> that I'm able to, to, to draw in for this. I can play multiple um, characters too, if need be. <laughs> Hi, this is, this is Bryce from, uh, from Cleveland. Yeah. And I have a question about fairies. <laughs> and then you're being like, oh, it's so cold where I'm from. I want to know more about the. Shemsu Heru <laughs> being like, wow, Terry's got colors from all over the world. This is amazing. <laughs> they all sound suspiciously similar, but they all have the same IP address, but who cares? So that is, uh, we'll see if that works. Um, I've worked out an initial uh, five or 10 episode run. And basically the quid pro quo was, I can't do anything stupid. I can't be like, why can't, why aren't Nazis more playable? Like, Come on. Um, like, like that, that, that's a problem for several reasons. Um, it needs to be, um, it's going to focus on OPP. It can deviate sometimes. And the other half of that is Onyx Path will, will hopefully help me find guests and so on. But I otherwise get to maintain my, my editorial independence and so on. So right now I'm going through the process of figuring out like what I want to actually call it and what my graphics look like. And um, how do I submit my resignation letter when I accidentally say something terrible uh, in front of a live audience? So I want to have, I want to have all of that ready ahead of time. <laughs> Where it's like, uh, Terry, you advocated for crashing a bus full of disabled nuns. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be like, I knew this was going to happen. 
in this envelope is, <laughs> and then we can we can just go from there. But we'll we'll see how that happens. Uh, uh, fingers crossed on that. That can, that that project can last for as long as I'm allowed to work from home on Tuesdays. Because <laughs> <laughs> like there there are certain things in my workplace where I'm like out, and other ways where I am not. And it's one of those. And I am not podcast out. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so I uh, whenever I have an interview and I'm like yeah I need to get home to do an interview like. Um, I'm like, yes, I do a radio show. Yes, a radio show. And they're like, oh, it must be great to do an actuary radio show. And I'm like, I am not going to correct you. <laughs> so that <laughs> that is what I've done so far. So uh, as long as I can work from home on Tuesdays, that, that project can can reasonably happen. We'll see how ultimately time-consuming it is. I don't. I, I would like to get better at that improvisational muscle about being able to talk extemporaneously. So we'll, we'll see if that happens. But I, I think that, that largely rounds up all the upcoming projects. I guess the other thing is, are you going to Gen Con? Or, yes. Uh, any up- nice. Yep. I, I will too will be, be at Gen Con. Physically at Gen Con. Um, I'm not planning on really doing much at Gen Con. I fa- I want to find an artist. That's like my my goal is to go nice. like go hang out in the artist area and go check out all the stuff that they have and talk with a whole bunch of artists and try and find one that that I can work with to build a bunch of art. I don't have an insane amount of money. I, I just want sketches to begin with and we'll work on cool expensive art some other day, but I need somebody that's like, I can whip out a whole bunch of, of sketches for you for not a lot of money, but I w- but I I want you know to do other big projects for you too that I will get real money for. And sometimes volume is a, a price of its own where you're like, hey, I understand that this is not your rate per character, but I need 10 of them. Right. Can you can you knock forty percent off, and that may happen. But yeah, I'm uh, one of the big things I want to do with that is uh, with roll twenty, mm-hmm. get them on roll twenty so that it's all like I want a picture of techno mm-hmm. game. What the you know some of it I can take my own pictures. I just go around Madison and start taking pictures of stuff yep. so it's free for besides the time. But it's uh, you know I would like to have like oh here's a. Uh, Nexus crawler ripping out of the the void and coming into you know the the Ulbricht Gardens like can you give me like a sketch of that but I just want it to be quick and you know eventually I would love to be able to spend like ten bucks you know twenty bucks or a hundred bucks per t- per picture um, you know with full color detail and stuff like that but at this point in time art is expensive and I appreciate all the things that artists do, which is why I'm, I don't really, I don't haggle with, with artists on how much they want, you know, what they want is what they want. I just, I'm going to ask, you know, Hey, this is what I need. And if you can't provide it at, at my price, that's okay. It's not, it's not a ding on you at all. It's just, I'm not rich yet. Just give me time. Yep. Give me time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I, I wish you well with that. And that is something I, I totally, understand i'm going to be running two sessions of v5 i have no interest in vampire so i thought it was important for me to run it and figure out maybe why other people like it and i will i will give it a college try is your game Um, already full i have no idea i don't think they've been posted yet have they no i think they just posted them okay i know that Uh, game registration just ended yesterday so you couldn't register any more games yesterday I feel like there was an announcement out there about, yeah. about signing up. I haven't planned out. I've been just kind of, kind of. Now I'm kind of going to go look for your game, though. I think. Um, yeah, because I haven't one played of the vampire V5 games. Yet, so. Yeah, and and we could not know what we're doing together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm also running a game of. I don't think I'm violating the NDA on this, but I'm also running one game of um, 
Transformers. <gasps> yes. I love I also Transformers. Know, I know nothing about the Transformers, I've... but of the three options that I was given, that was that seemed like the cool one. Transformer, so, uh, like RPG? Yeah. Yeah. What? I am so like I just want to like pick your brain for for a while. I know nothing about it. I just know that I am running it. And someone else who is deving it made a thing like I got to work on Transformers the RPG. Um, and so I'm hoping I'm hoping they actually said Transformers the RPG and they didn't just like vague book it because if so, <laughs> I'm like oh good job, Terry. Like, need to cut that from the recording. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we'll see how uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited for Gen Con. I wish that uh, I don't know. I did, I feel like this is going to be the weirdest one. I'm I'm downtown finally again. It's this is it's been like two years that we weren't downtown, and it was horrible when you're not downtown in a connected hotel. We're in a connected, so I'm super excited about that. But I feel like this year is going to be very different than any other year that i've ever been there and i'm i'm kind of hoping for it to be less crowded and to be like people to be a little bit more socially distancing um but i also kind of want just to see gen con like just be at gen con <laughs> yeah i, I <laughs> take mean, all the me... bad with the good it doesn't matter you know it's gen con it makes it all gen con <laughs> i am dimly hoping that there will be a dip in participation so it is more likely that i will be able to have a conversation with ken Hyder, robin laws or monty cook mm. or shannon germain or something like that but it could be the exact opposite where 30 percent fewer participants came and 50 percent fewer professionals came so actually my odds are worse than normal uh especially if there are international travel restrictions that are still in place i miss going to canada uh canada's canada's a lot of fun so uh yeah so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes um so one thing before we wrap up here I just wanted to Shoot. ask about is have you ever considered or are you considering in the future you know I mean definitely not immediately but down the line of doing anything with an in person triacon No quite simply no Okay uh that brings so so the thing to me for a remote convention is I I would like to focus on the things that are hard to do in person mm -hmm. Um so that's what you're going to try and excel at with your with your convention is, That's is the hope hit, hit the Hit the stuff that really can't really be done. Or, or that's harder to do, yeah, that hard, would be optimized yeah. for online. Um, what I could possibly do is something where it would be like, try it con at, and then I would be attaching a gaming convention to an already existing convention of some sort. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't have the bandwidth to build it up from nothing. But um, say, for instance, there's a Philadelphia pop culture convention. Or um, uh, we have PAX Unplugged. They run a lot of games. Would I be fine coming up with the Triatcon track where I say we are going to showcase 30 game sessions from lesser played games? Um, would I do that? Yes. Do I want to build a, an event up from scratch? Probably not. Um, I, I, part of it is the benefit of being in the Northeast that we do have a lot of events that we can kind of bop actually like per capita. I think the Midwest kind of just wrecks for gaming conventions <laughs> where it's like, you're like, you're Sheboygan. They're like, yeah. And our gaming convention has 40,000 people at it <laughs> deal. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like for instance, the Gehenna gaming folks do, uh, PAX East and PAX Unplugged. Um, if there were another event that were interested in having a bunch of games run for it, would I do arrangements for that? 
I, I would certainly try, but for now I, I'd like to stick with the online stuff just because it feels much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes f- comparatively few hours to do. I certainly miss the in-personness of things, but I think one of the weirdest things about doing the Gen Con sessions is that they're all five hours and all online sessions tend to be four. Um, I don't know if that's just, you need an extra half hour to wait for people to show up and everything. Um, but I really like that four hour session of which three and a half hours is actively game playing and you have a short setup and then you have an intermission midway through that, mm. that to me is a real good four hour efficiency. And I'd like to be able to, to, to bang some more of those out, but, uh, no, no plans on, on, on Triacon Philly yet. <laughs> yeah. Yet. It's just but one of those like things that I would think of, of, of like the virtual con. I like, like you said, all the, big benefits the only thing that that is interesting about the um when you get it in person is because it becomes like a pilgrimage everyone's you know like for yeah. like for me gen con it, i'm not going to go to virtual gen con at all mm-hmm. um i mean and i i i say that and then i go well maybe i should actually but it's much more i'm like gen con is like an experience for me that i don't mind spending all the crazy amount of money that it takes in order to get there get a hotel do all the stuff and and because it's kind of like this this you know kind of adventure that you go on um and i found that although online ones are way more efficient easier to get to i don't have to do it 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 becomes not a not a pilgrimage anymore like it it maybe as the years go by if if I come to every single Triacon, I think maybe eventually, like even if it's online, I'll still be like, okay, I got to get my costumes all together because I'm going to be on camera. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, so there's one exception to that. Uh, if we, if there were a very high value niche that we could fill that would be well served in person. So for instance, if we did a convention for streamers. Oh yeah. Uh, which, which sounds stupid. <laughs> you know, that thing you do entirely online and interact with your audience entirely online. We're all going to get together in a hotel in New Jersey and talk about it. Um, that a industry professional event of some sort. Um, because one of the things that online conventions don't do a good job at is meeting and mingling of just running into people. Um, it is hard to facilitate that sort of conversation. There are people who are good at it. Uh, Josh Heath kind of took care of making sure that there were conversation topics that were going through. And I think, uh, if we had the ability to do it again, and when we do it again, we are going to focus more on that to have there be a rolling narrative and a rolling chat for Triacon. And I think that'll help fill in some of that. Uh, but if we were able to do an online convention that were geared towards some class of professionals, I could see that theoretically also being a direction we could go um, as opposed to just being a generic large gaming convention. Because I think if you want to do an in-person convention, you you really need to do a board game, card game, RPG one to just have the critical mass mm-hmm. to do it. Unless you're really doing that, uh, we're in a Army Air National Guard facility basement. Which, not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing, but to to make the economics work, that would really be what you would need to do. Yeah, but I think no, you, need, to... you need the card flippers. They're very, you know, they're massive. They're all over the place, and they do play other games. So yes, oh yes, and I, <laughs> I am certainly they love fine with that. their tournaments, man. They will come in droves to if you tack on a magic tournament onto your convention, yeah. it just like it goes nuts. <laughs> If you can run a PTQ there, yeah, that would be great. And and I look at things like the Strixhaven supplements for um, D&D, and I'm like, man, I wish 
World of Darkness had literally anything like that <laughs> that we could that we could do. So, but yeah, that's I what, would. That's what I, I would love a World of Darkness convention, like a, like a, that's just a, not just you know this is our LARP that we're doing because they have a lot of those, a lot of LARP conventions. But I don't feel like there's one that you could be like, okay, you get every World of Darkness game. That's what all the games are here. We we hunted down the only demon GM and we brought him in and. <laughs> We, we had a bunch of one-off games that had filled, but uh, various circumstances came up and the storyteller was unable to uh, to deliver on it. And uh, for Triacon 2022, I'm very much hoping to get 1x of most, if not all, of the, the World of Darkness games. So we'll see if we can do that. That, that is a not quite a promise, but I attempt that I will remake the next time we do this. Definitely. Yeah, I really look forward to it. I've uh, as much as help, whatever you need help with on, uh, just let me know. I am all all about being involved with Triacon. I, I loved the whole concept. I enjoyed the experience and really liked hitting up games that I had never played before and getting to try out some ones that I've had very little experience GMing for before and getting mm-hmm. really good, fun, um, you know, experience out of that whole thing. Thank you so much. I hope we can scale up and maintain it. We'll see. And uh, is there anything else that uh, I'm going to kind of just open up the floor? If there's anything else that you kind of want to talk about, any um, any shout outs that you want to give? I enjoyed Blood Hunt more than most people seemingly did. Um, I uh, the the with the weekend trial of the vampire game, people were like, this isn't vampire. I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's people running around killing each other in the night. This is very much vampire. Um, I think there is a veneer of lore that I hope they add on to it, where there's a bunch of things they could have added that cost nothing, but make it more immersive to vampire. And and I hope they figure out how to do that. I, I think there were certainly criticisms to be had of it, but it did. It was a game that centered around the sphere of gun. And <laughs> I think that is remarkably realistic in terms of things that vampires wind up doing. It is often vastly easier to throw a hand grenade or shoot someone than to uh, draw on the powers of the blood. Um, so I, I say that kind of contrarian because people are like, ah, oh, this game we got for our property isn't as great as we thought it would be. I'm like, Mage got a phone game once that was taken down. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I remember there was a... isn't the kind I like. I'm like, I'm really having difficulty <laughs> caring. <laughs> Yeah, Mage, uh, I remember hearing about something with Mage, that it was going to have a, a, a telltale or something like that that was going to be coming out, and then, then nothing. It was, but I saw that Werewolf got, uh, it was Werewolf and Vampire. That they got, got a couple. Werewolf had a few. Um, and I don't know. I'm fine when games change across media. I'm fine when you got to take what you can, you know, the one thing is though, is that I feel, uh, I think that some of us have been kind of spoiled by Dungeons and Dragons, to be honest, because like they did, it's such an easy system to turn into a actual, um, video game. You like, you literally have all the rules that is required for the video game built right into the game where vampire doesn't really have that easy or, or, and mage has the worst, (laughs) trying to just incorporate it into into a video game um but i think that there you know there's a lot of potential there to not not go the route of D. they need to go the route of, of the telltale i think kind of stuff for, okay. for the world of darkness because it's a storyteller's game not not a you know a chessex map where you yeah. move things around and kill people so. 
I'm yeah. As long as there, there's a certain core that I would want it to maintain, and as long as it hits that, I don't care what else they do. They choose to go along with. But ultimately, we'll see. I try and be a celebrant, and I may be choosing that uh, to my detriment. But uh, only time will tell. Mm-hmm. I, I, I look forward to the future where you and I can say that 4X Mage the Ascension uh, Ascension War game that Paradox put out is crap. Like if you and I get to have that conversation. <laughs> Great. And I guess my final thought is we got a bunch of age books that are coming out. We, we have no hint that M five is on the horizon as fans. That is a gift. That means they like us enough. That gives us enough time to have more M 20. And that lets us write the books and supplements and adventures we think should exist. And if you have an idea, try and find some friends, post it on, uh, the mage, the podcast discord mage, uh, discord.me slash mates the podcast um post it on the facebook group try and get it made the more stuff we can have out there that shows paradox what we do and we don't like i think the better chance we have of getting the m5 that we want um other things shout out to walking away from arcadia who is now finishing off their final season so uh walking away from arcadia it's a changeling podcast um, it does not presume that you actually have ever played Changeling. I have never touched Changeling. I have never read any of the books. The explainers they give are are amazing. Uh, the Story Told is doing a bunch of recent episodes on just basics and role-playing games, like how to build better NPCs and so on, which I have found uh, terribly handy. Um, RPG Design Panelcast is a fascinating podcast that just takes recorded episodes of uh, recorded presentations from online conventions and shares them with the world. The back catalog is endlessly fascinating. I especially like the the episodes on board games because every problem that tabletop RPGs have had, board games had five years ago <laughs> in terms of figuring out technology production, what fans want, responding to the environment, speeding up development processes, and so on. If you're curious about where RPGs could be, listen to their stuff on board games. They do a great series on what it takes to write games set in different parts of the world from a production standpoint. Like what does the game translation market in Japan look like stuff? Absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and Ken and Robin talk about stuff is I still think one of the, uh, the best go-to shows to just generally know how to game and write gooder. And those are my shout outs. And if you'd like to hear more of what I have to say, magethepodcast.com. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was about to say, check out magethepodcast.com. Really great place to get all of the stuff that Terry's working on. It's really good website. Um, and definitely check out his podcast. Really great stuff there. If you want to learn about Mage, that's where I'm still learning tons of stuff about Mage from his podcast. That And this is after 20 some odd years of playing Mage. <laughs> Although thank you so I, much, I'm glad you find it useful. I find it huge because I'm a horrible reader. I'm just I'm I my brain interjects whatever the hell it wants. It just makes up stories. It runs off in this direction while I'm reading in this direction, and then all of a sudden, I'll like I'll get to like a part in the story, uh, or like an, on a page, and I'll be like, where am I? Why am I yeah. here? I was thinking about the starship, you know, Enterprise flying through hostile Klingon space for a second there, and I'm reading a book about Harry Potter. What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, I wish we could get these as audiobooks. That would help me certainly. But until we can, that's a that's a you should pitch that. Like, do they does Onyx Path know that there is uh, audio I, out there? It would be a it would be a paradox question. And I know people have pitched uh, even simpler things like making books available in .mobi format so they can be used on an e reader. Um, and paradox is like, but you won't have the art. 
And the response is like, who cares? It's a game book. <laughs> like if I, if I get it for free as an add-on or for like $2 more, uh, let's do it. Um, I did try and come up with a workflow whereby I would take the PDF, pull all of the text out, throw it through Amazon Poly, which is the service that will do text to speech and then spit out MP3s of the appropriate distance, uh, appropriate length, because it can only do like 10,000 words at a time or 20,000 words at a time. It, it never quite worked as well as I wanted it to. But, uh, as someone who reads at least one game book a week and has for several years and also has difficulty reading, I have a, an astigmatism. I, wish I had known I needed glasses before I turned 27. Oh, like the yeah. terrible grades I got in English in high school uh, may have been different. No, I get it. I wish there were more ways that we could get this text to people. And uh, and if I crack that nut, I look forward to coming back and talking to you about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And uh, definitely check out our website, theageofstories.com. You can get all of the different projects that we're working on as well as um, on this podcast right here and our Crossing Darkness podcast that we are still doing. Uh, we're doing our actual play with some slight edits. Um, my plan is to probably do some better editing coming up at some point and making it a little bit more um, like if you want the full thing and go to our YouTube and get you know everything that we talked about and all the game mechanic arguments that we have. Um, but I think at some point, um, especially with uh, once we get to Technogate 2000, which is the new season that we're just starting right now, it's after the Avatar Storm, they've come back and everybody's gone. And now they have Technogate, they have no power, they have no, <laughs> they got the backup generator that doesn't do very much, but the government doesn't know about them, they have no idea where any of the other mages are, and... Now they've got to decide. I'm wondering, and my, my biggest question is, is the beginning of it just going to be them going to the FBI and being like, we are mages. <laughs> what do we, what could possibly go wrong? What, what department do we belong to now? You know, like, we used to be part of the technocracy. Does the technocracy exist? And the FBI going, come with me. We need to talk. <laughs> or are they going to, which I hope they do. I kind of hope they don't just go to the FBI because it'll be really... I mean, I'll play with it, but I really hope they try and build up Technogate from the ground up and be like, okay, the Avatar Storm came and went, and now we got to figure out we're going to be in charge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I plan on, I think for that one is when I'm going to start doing some a little bit more editing and kind of cut it down to, to being a little bit more of like a play or a radio show, um, but, uh, but still leaving that uh, chance for you to go see it on YouTube and see the whole thing. Um, you nice. know, with some video, some uh, some visuals and stuff like that. I want to get some artwork, um, as we were talking about getting uh, that for when I go to Gen Con, try and find somebody that can make up a bunch of little sketch art pictures for me and some stuff, so you can kind of get a visual of what's going on. But, um, but yeah, we plan on trying to make it a little bit more radio friendly, um, in the upcoming. And then uh, don't forget to check out our Mage the Ascension game, Technogate 1999, which we're just wrapping up right now, Monday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, you can also check us out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash goldenagestories. And remember that's golden spelled G-U-L-D-A-N. Thank you so much for listening, and you have a great week. Bye.